I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, the story of one Bay Area family fighting to survive the United States' chaotic pullout from Afghanistan after nearly two decades of war. They're the Sultanis of Milpitas. They'd settled in America four years ago after helping the U.S. government in their home country. But their trouble began this summer when they returned to Kabul to visit family there. That's how they found themselves last month pressing into the Kabul airport, desperate to get onto a flight home. Their story offers a look at the challenge ahead for many Afghan people, some still in that country and some who will settle into Northern California's large Afghan community. My guest is Chronicle reporter Deepa Fernandez, who spent time recently with the Sultanis. Deepa, how are you? Hey, Damien. Good to be here. Thank you. Deepa, thank you for taking the time. Tell us about the Sultani family. Who are they? So they're a family who, you know, didn't really want to leave Afghanistan. They both have large families there. Mr. Sultani told me great stories about growing up, how they would go and visit some of Afghanistan's beautiful lakes and gardens. And, you know, he really wanted that for his children. But he worked with the United States. He learned English in school. He worked for the United States. He worked in administration. He was a hiring manager in HR, really regular job that he did. But that job, Damien, made him a target. And in the, in the years, you know, between 2014 and 2015, he started getting threats from the Taliban. And it became very clear that he needed to get his family out and he qualified for a special immigrant visa. So in 2017, and that just goes to show you how long this process takes, 2014 he's receiving threats, 2017 he finally arrives in California with his wife and one child. And soon thereafter he had another child born in California, so a U.S. citizen and, and so the family have lived here, you know, in constant contact with their family back in Kabul and other parts of Afghanistan over the years, but they've never been able to go back. And then COVID hit and, you know, homesick, desperate to see their large families. They finally planned a trip this past summer. So in June of 2020, they were able to go and little did they know what was about to happen over the summer. Well, it happened so fast and they were they were caught unaware. I imagine they would have come back sooner. So they get trapped in Kabul? So actually, they were kind of a little bit in the know, as Mr. Sultani tells it, because one of his friends, as soon as they arrived, told him in June, you know, you may want to um, look at your return flight back and reconfirm that it's happening. And as he started to do that, he realized that flights were being canceled all over the place. Um, as he tells it, it began kind of an anxious struggle to make sure that they really had tickets to come back. And it really was quite an epic journey because on the very first day when they finally had confirmed tickets was right around the time when the Taliban took over. They seized power of Kabul. And, you know, the Taliban had been coming into the provinces, province by province, but nobody, as, as you know, anticipated they would take Kabul so quickly and his family was actually in the airport on the day that that happened. They were, they had gone through security. They were waiting at their gate to get on a plane. And all of a sudden across the tarmac and surrounding the airport from the windows, Mr. Sultani sees Taliban fighters. And that was a 
just a, just a very frightening moment for him as it began to sink in of what might be happening. And needless to say, they did not get on a plane that day and they had to go back to his parents' home. So that starts this episode that has played out in the news that people have been following. Um, what happens to them? How do they then try to get out of the country? So they have multiple attempts, Demian, to get out of the country. You know, they try to come to the airport. They just decide to try again, but there are roadblocks and there are checkpoints and they just can't get through. And then on this one particular day, August 19, they find themselves trying again. You know, now imagine they have two small kids, a seven-year-old and a three-year-old, and they're caught in the middle of a thousands strong surging crowd and Mr. Sultani showed me photos on his cell phone and it was just a sea of people and you know I I guess the closest you can imagine is you know when you're like at a massive concert and everyone's just surging forward with the energy well here people were desperate to get in the gate so they're pushing and so they thought the safest place for the kids, like they, they were carrying the kids, but it just, they were getting squished. So they put the kids on the shoulders and they had had family members, brothers, Mr. Sultani's father, who came with them because they were trying to ensure their safe passage into the airport. Um, so, that, so many members of his family were there and, you know, really um, terrifyingly at one point, they watch her seven-year-old daughter fall off a cousin's shoulder because the crowd is just surging and pushing so much. And then they can't find her for a whole hour. Wow. Really scary. And and it turns out <laughs> she she was with a cousin. A cousin kind of rescued her and they were just in a completely different part of the crowd. But I think, you know, for all of us who are parents or grandparents or, you know, just appreciate how scary that could be, imagine one whole hour in a crowd like that, not able to find your child. So did they get out that day? So by the time they found her, the U.S. was um, the U.S. soldiers at the at the gates were not allowing passage, so they had to turn around and go back. You know, and by that point, they're pretty defeated um, and and just really traumatized. So they go back home, and I think they're just trying to take stock of what to do next. But you know, reports are ever present of threats being made by the Taliban, of reprisals in other provinces, and I think it was just really clear that. To, to Mr. Sultani that he, he couldn't stay, he couldn't. So that night, that very night, they tried again. And on their way to the airport, some of their family members were beaten. Um, you know, and, it, and I think part of it was they're not even exactly sure who did the beatings. Like, that's the level of chaos. But, you know, when you look at the photos, people were badly beaten. But luckily, you know, they, they just persisted and persisted and they made it in the gate. And, you know, Mr. Sultani, his wife and seven-year-old daughter, a legal permanent residence, or people might know it better as a green card holder of the United States. And their son is a U.S. citizen. So, so finally they made it through the gates. But that wasn't the end of the ordeal, Damien. Um, they then spent 31 hours in Kabul airport. And not like in the airport terminal at like, you know, a nice um, air-conditioned lounge or anything like that. They were actually out on the curb almost, as Mr. Sultani describes it, 31 hours with two small children and a ton of other people all waiting to get on a flight. They finally get on a flight that takes them to Pakistan. Then from Pakistan, they go to to Turkey. From Turkey, they end up in Amsterdam where they have to undergo COVID tests and wait for results. 
Then they're put on a plane to New York City. Now, all this time, they're just in airport terminals. So five days of this with two young children, just not knowing what's next. You know, you think you're getting on a plane to San Francisco airport, and the next thing you know, you're in another country or you're in New York City. So, you know, when they finally stepped off the plane, I think it was just incredible relief. Now, as you say, they had they are Americans. They had some help from from representatives in Congress from the Bay Area. I mean, they had a lot of things going for them. Still a, a really difficult journey, but it also speaks to to others who who maybe don't have those things and are, are still struggling. Absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the things Mr. Sultani is most concerned about is his own family members. Um, and, you know, when I talked to him, you know, he, he brought it up and he he was he's visibly visibly shaken and and upset and traumatized you know they're here they're back here they're they're safe here they have a lovely apartment that their daughter's in school you know life can go back to normal but you know when i talked to him damien the entire time he was rubbing his hands together and rubbing them so harshly that you know, I I could see kind of the blood vessels and the red popping through his hands and he didn't stop the entire time. You know, and I think that's really constantly checking his phone. I think it's just a really deep concern because he knows um, what might happen to his family members. And and unfortunately, they, they're not connected to the U.S. directly in the way he was. And as he tells it, he doesn't actually think that matters to the Taliban. You know, they're connected to the U.S. through him, and that makes them a target. All right, Deepa, let's take a quick break. When we return, I want to ask you about your conversations with the Sultanis and also about the larger Afghan community and the challenges ahead. Right after this on Fifth and Mission. We'll be right back. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bolwa, joined by Chronicle reporter Deepa Fernandez. Deepa, we're talking about the Sultani family and their escape from Afghanistan. What lay ahead for that family? You know, the biggest thing that they're facing right now is just trying to stabilize their lives. You know, Mr. Sultani had a good job for the United States when he lived in Afghanistan. He speaks six languages, Damien. And it's really funny because when I asked him, you know, how many languages do you speak? Because I love talking to, to people from the South Asian region about how many languages they speak, you know, f- from a perspective of most people in this country don't speak very many, more than one. And he, he tells me, oh, well, yeah, I speak Dari. And I said, okay. And then a bit later, it turns out he, he actually speaks six languages, you know, possibly seven. Um, he's, he's, a, he's a highly educated man. Um, he cannot find a good job here. And, and I think that's, that's really worrying to him. And so he would really like a good job. He'd like to join the police department, but um, he needs to be a U.S. citizen to do that. So he has to wait a couple of years till he gets citizenship. But, you know, he, he's, I think that's probably the biggest challenge because um, his, his wife right now is staying home with their three-year-old, their seven-year-olds in school. And so I think it's just really stability. But I think for both Mr. Sultani and his wife, 
there's just the ever-present fear about their families back in Afghanistan. Deepa, you've been talking to people in the Afghan community in the last couple of weeks, especially. I mean, the Bay Area has a huge, vibrant community. What is going on in that community now after the Taliban took over Kabul? Yeah, it's it's just been a really hard time for for folks who I've talked to because mostly they're watching the chaos unfold and for some, you know, there's it's really bringing back memories of, you know, when they left Afghanistan. I talked to Dr. Mishka Masumi who is a historian of modern Afghanistan and she's a teaching fellow at Stanford University and you know, she is just so worried about family members, but also colleagues who are over there, colleagues in academia, and this goes for others who I've spoken to as well, teachers, uh, um, professors, journalists who are Afghans, who didn't work directly with the United States, but ha- so, so they're not going to immediately qualify for any of these immigration options that the United States has put forward, but yet they still are very much targets and, and could be targeted by the Taliban. So for people here, it's it's just incredibly scary, you know, and, and I think the time difference is, is a really big factor because the South Asian region, you know, when we're awake, they're asleep. And when they're awake, we're asleep. So that translates to a lot of sleepless nights and and just checking in with people and hearing really hard things, you know, at like two o'clock in the morning. Um, or even just before you go to bed at like 11 at night, how are you supposed to sleep then when, when you know what's going on? And Dr. Masumi told me that, you know, for her, it brings back memories of when she and her family fled Afghanistan back in 1980. And, and, you know, and she really is looking at this again and, and also looking at, at media coverage, frankly, she said to me, you know, I just, sometimes I think that, that Afghans are always just going to be identified as, these kind of fleeing victims on the one hand um, or on the other hand as connected to terrorism. And and she felt really just upset by that because, you know, the community is so much richer and deeper and, and absolutely not either of those things, even though right now there's a lot of chaos. So she really was feeling strongly that, you know, she wants to educate her neighbors and and her students and you know people around that you know Afghanistan is a rich vibrant country um you know and and, and for people not to look at the chaos on their screens and and be alarmed or afraid or or just have pity but to actually try and remind themselves that you know there are people like her who might be your neighbor who, who is going through a lot of trauma right now as she watches what's happening, kind of helpless to really do anything, but that, you know, what she's really mourning and grieving right now is an incredibly vibrant culture that is that is under attack. Yeah, there was a, a powerful thing that you wrote about where they're watching the news and they're watching President Biden talk about what's going on, and they were they were really emotional as they did that. Yeah, and and I was watching it with Mr. Sultani, actually, and I was super curious. I, I wanted to know what the president had to say because, you know, I'm, I'm writing the story about it. And, and you know, the last time he addressed the nation, you know, it, 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 people in the community thought he was very callous, um, you know, when he described it as, as Afghans not stepping up to protect 
their own country that it was falling on you know so that speech didn't go down very well the first speech <laughs> to the in the in the afghan diaspora when i spoke to folks so i was curious to see if he'd heard some of that and and the tone would be different but as i was watching the speech with mr sultani you know after he he was talking the president about you know that they didn't leave anyone behind and that the 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 100 to 200 who they left behind well they chose to stay and mr sultani you know it just it was almost just like it was too much he just really kind of looked disgusted and just just hit mute and then he just looked out the window and and didn't say anything um you know and i think the silence spoke more than anything in that moment so the Sultanis made it, but Deepa, what can we expect now in the future? Are, are, are a lot of people going to be settling in the Bay Area as they try to remake their lives? I mean, the short answer is probably, you know, and it's it's all relative when we think about how many, but, but there is a fairly sizable Afghan community here in the Bay Area who, some of whom have been here for decades. Um, you know, they're, they're probably more Californian <laughs> than they are, you know, Afghani. But um, what I was told by Holly Taines-White um, of the Jewish Family and Community Services at the East Bay, which is a large agency that has been doing refugee resettlement work for years, and particularly with Afghan refugees since 2008, um, Holly told me that, you know, in, in August alone, they resettled 69 Afghans, and they're waiting for 60 more who are, who are currently at a military base in Virginia. Um, but... Interestingly, she said that she anticipated that they, in August and September, altogether, they'll probably welcome 200 people. Now, just to put a little bit of context on that, obviously, when we look at the what we're seeing on the chaos on the TV and the, the thousands and thousands, 200 is a drop in the bucket. But in the 15 years that she's worked with the agency, she said the highest number they ever resettled for a full year was 183 so 200 people in two months is, is just a very different scale. And I think what people should keep in mind is that, you know, this is one agency. There are other agencies that do this too. There's a, there, there are local groups, um, you know, maybe not as, as, as um, highly resourced as the Jewish Family and Community Services of the East Bay, but rely a lot more on volunteers. And they're in all our local communities who are doing this work. And, and Afghan families have been coming in and will continue to. You know, I think the thing to understand is that a lot of these families, you know, while they may come in very traumatized um, and in need of a lot of things, right, They're, they've obviously left everything behind, you know, they're also coming in ready to to have some stability and to, to help their children get on with their lives. And they're very motivated in that way. Um, so, so I think what volunteers and advocates who are doing a lot of this resettlement work are looking for is, you know, donations and and i think you know they need everything you know couches um kitchen stuff uh you know er everything to set up a house um, but they also need to staff up because with this level of people coming in you know they need to be making calls to landlords to see do you have housing available like right now they're using temporary fixes like airbnbs while they get an apartment ready so so I think, you know, it, there's a there's a lot of needs right now. And and what Holly Taines White said is that she's really seen people around the Bay Area step up in a huge way. They've had a lot of donations, a lot of donations, a lot of offers of voluntary help. So it seems like, Damien, people are responding to the need. Deepa Fernandez, thank you so much. Thank you, Damien. 
Thanks to my guest today, Deepa Fernandez. She covers immigration and immigrant communities for the San Francisco Chronicle. Thanks also to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.